In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. I mean, if the, uh, the, the, the events that uh, we celebrate that started on Friday uh, 2,000 years ago and led up to the crucifixion, um, if they were to be, if it was to take place today, this is the kind of news that you would be listening to on our news channels. So why don't you sit back and listen to this 21st century rendition. It's three o'clock. Good afternoon. I'm Anya Carvel. In lieu of our regular news, this is a Spirit Radio special report. The death has occurred in the Roman province of Judea of Jesus of Nazareth. The popular teacher and religious leader was executed by crucifixion along with two other prisoners this afternoon on Mount Calvary in Jerusalem. The 33-year-old, also known as Jesus Christ, was arrested on Thursday evening. It's understood one of his friends, Judas Iscariot, assisted authorities with their inquiries and subsequent arrest. After cross-examination overnight by officials from different jurisdictions, Governor Pontius Pilate ordered the execution this morning. Eyewitness reports from the trial suggest the governor's initial verdict to release the Nazarene without charge was reversed following representations from local religious leaders. The convicted man was forced to carry his own cross to the execution site. The crucifixion was carried out at midday and his death has been confirmed, with cause of death recorded as asphyxiation brought on by scourging, crucifixion, extreme exhaustion and loss of blood. Rebecca Ryan has more. Jesus Christ, the son of Joseph, a carpenter from Galilee, was born in Bethlehem. His family moved to Egypt for an undisclosed period before settling in Nazareth. Jesus worked as a carpenter in the family business and more recently as a travelling teacher and preacher. He was known for his ability to heal physical conditions, including epilepsy, blindness and paralysis. He was praised for reaching out to the lonely, poor and marginalised and for his unique insights and teaching style. Last year, a wide range of media outlets reported eyewitness accounts of a miracle where Jesus fed in excess of 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He is also reported to have brought people back from the dead. Jesus divided public opinion by identifying himself with messianic claims in the Hebrew scriptures and angered religious leaders by claiming to be God's son, which constitutes blasphemy under Jewish law. Other scholars criticized him for claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. Jesus was in Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feast of Passover this week. On the night of his arrest, he held a Passover banquet with his friends, where he's reported to have foretold his death. The number of followers of Jesus' movement is not known, but is thought to be in the thousands. Most commentators believe these will disperse following the execution of their leader. Jesus is survived by his mother Mary. In lieu of flowers, the family has requested that everyone try to live as Jesus did. Donations may be sent to anyone in need. Reporting from Jerusalem for Spirit Radio, I'm Rebecca Ryan.
Meanwhile, doubts have emerged over the legitimacy of the trial of Jesus of Nazareth. A member of the Jewish Council claims that council procedures were circumvented by holding court proceedings at night. There are also concerns that Judas Iscariot may have received financial inducements from temple authorities to inform on his former boss. In a dramatic twist of events, the body of a man believed to be Mr Iscariot has been found today in a field close to Jerusalem. Police are not looking for further witnesses. It is thought that Mr Iscariot's untimely death could hamper inquiries into bribery allegations. The body of Jesus is to be removed to a stone grave near Calvary donated by Joseph of Arimathea, who was a friend of the family. Local politicians have called for a 24-hour armed guard to be mounted outside the tomb because of concerns that it may be robbed. It's understood that Governor Pontius Pilate has consented to these security measures. And that's your special report at four minutes past three on Spirit Radio, the home of positive hits and inspiration for your day. Amen. Amen. Today we uh, celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We celebrate because he is alive. In the account that Sachi read of that resurrection, um, depicted by the tribe of, of Judah so graphically in the production, on that first day, uh, which would be today, um, the two Marys go to the tomb. Um, they go there basically to anoint the dead body of our Lord and Savior, their Lord and Savior, someone they loved. And when they get to the tomb, as they're approaching the tomb, there's a massive earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descends from heaven. He rolls back the stone and he sits on it. The Bible describes his countenance like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. The guards, and there were guards, soldiers who were sent there to guard the tomb. The guards shook for fear and literally fainted, became like dead men. And then the angel answered and said to the, the women, who of course were afraid at the earthquake and then this, this, upper, this figure that had just literally floated down from the heaven, an angel dazzling in white. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here, for he, ha he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And so the two women, in excitement at this news, they rush off, running from the tomb to go and tell the disciples with great joy and with some degree of fear at what they had just witnessed. And as they went to tell the disciples, Jesus appears to them. And the first thing that Jesus says to them, the first word he utters after he has come back from the dead, the first phrase, the first injunction 
the first commandment, the first instruction he gives them, and by proxy gives us, is the word rejoice. He appears to these women who have experienced the depths of despair. Their Savior, their Lord, their Messiah, they assumed he was, had been crucified right before their eyes. Their king had died like a commoner. The most horrific of deaths, crucifixion. All their dreams were shattered. Their hope was destroyed. But then out of their love for him, they go to the tomb just to anoint his body so that he would at least have a decent burial. And they get there and suddenly this drama unfolds. An earthquake, an angel. And then the angel gives them this message that the Jesus you came to look for that was crucified on Friday is risen and is no longer here. I can only imagine their excitement as they rush to tell the other disciples what, what they have heard and what they have seen. And then suddenly Jesus appears to them. And he doesn't engage them in any lengthy conversation. He just gives them one instruction, rejoice. He says to them, show great joy. Be delighted. Be happy. Jubilate. That was his instruction to them. Rejoice. Irrespective of what has happened, because of what you see, I have come back to life, as I said. I am resurrected by the Spirit of God. Rejoice. Go on, say to someone next to you, rejoice. Oh, please say it like it's Resurrection Sunday. Rejoice. Okay, go on. Don't worry about saying it to the person. Declare it concerning your life. Rejoice. Why was that the first thing he said? Why was that his instruction to the first people he met? Why is that what he says to us today? And why is today so significant in our lives as Christians? The answer is simple. He said to them, rejoice because I have come back to life as I said. He said to them, Re rejoice because of my resurrection. He said to them, rejoice because I am alive. And you know, although he had told them on quite a number of occasions that he was going to come back to life, that he was going to be killed, but he would come back to life, that he would be resurrected, no one really expected it. The women didn't go to the tomb to see a resurrected Savior. They went to the tomb to see a dead king. The disciples themselves didn't expect it. When the women finally get to the disciples and tell them that he is risen, he's alive, the Bible says in Luke's Gospel, the 24th chapter, verses 6 to 12, the Bible says that their words seemed 
to them like idle tales, they did not believe them. The disciples just didn't believe them. That he's come back to life. He's resurrected. We saw him crucified. We were there in the shadow of the cross. We observed him crucified. He surely cannot have come back to life. And can you blame them? It's easy for you and I to accept it because it's recorded. It has happened. But then imagine if we were there and we were told that he's come back to life. He's resurrected. It had never happened before. How could they have believed it? This was the miracle of miracles. There was no precedent for it. That a man died and was dead for three days and came back to life. And so even the disciples did not believe it. And if the disciples did not believe it, of course you can imagine that the Romans, their rulers, did not believe it at all. And it's not just that they did not believe it, they, they did not want to believe it. They could not afford to believe it. For to believe it would challenge certain things, would point to certain things, especially the deity of Christ. And so they didn't believe it, and they didn't want to believe it. And you can imagine the Jewish leaders and the religious hierarchy definitely did not believe it, and certainly would not want to believe it. To believe it would pose certain serious problems. To believe that he had come back to life would throw everything into confusion for them. And there are many today who fall into that category. They simply do not want to believe it. They don't mind him being a good prophet, a good man, a good teacher. But the moment you talk about him having been resurrected by the Spirit of God, you part ways with them. Because if you believe that he was brought back to life, then it, you must answer certain questions. It poses certain questions, especially the question of his divinity. And so many in the world don't want to believe it. They fall into the category of the Romans and the Jewish leaders and the religious hierarchy and even the disciples who would have loved for him to come back to life, but certainly were not expecting it. But to all those cynics and skeptics, there are two issues that they must confront. Number one, the tomb was actually empty. That was a fact. And it was a fact that is put into greater perspective when you understand that the religious hierarchy had gone to Pilate. Matthew's Gospel 27, the 27th chapter from verse 63 to 66. And they had said to Pilate, this deceiver, this impostor, while he was alive, had said after three days, he would rise from the dead. So we request you 
to seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and, de and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we are at first. And so Pilate answered them, take guard, secure it the best you can. And so they sealed the tomb with a heavy stone and then they posted a detachment of soldiers to guard the tomb. But then when Mary, the Marys got to the tomb, the angel announced to them the truth that we believe today. He is not here. He is risen just as he said. The two Marys got there and looked into the tomb. The tomb was empty. Peter and John got there and looked into the tomb. The tomb was empty. When the guards woke up from having been slain, knowing that the penalty for him not being in the tomb was death, with trepidation, they looked into the tomb. The tomb was empty. The Romans investigated as the rulers. And they also found out that the tomb was empty. The Jewish leaders knew that the tomb was empty. So they concocted a pretty weak explanation. Bribing the soldiers to say that they all fell asleep at the same time. Without one of them being awake, they all slept. A whole detachment of soldiers. They expected us to believe that. And that while the detachment of well-trained soldiers were fast asleep, the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. What a weak explanation. They knew that the tomb was empty. And with all the archaeological discoveries from the first century till now, the bones of Jesus have never been found in some first century tomb. And the reason is because of a truth. The tomb was empty. And herein might lie the challenge that we have with some of the other faiths. Because you can find the tombs of the leaders of the other faiths. You can find their bones. You know where they died and they were buried. But with Jesus, the tomb was empty. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 19, if this was not the truth, that the tomb was empty, then our faith is a fantasy. It would mean that of all people on the earth, we as Christians are to be pitied because we believe in something that is a lie. But then, Paul, what Paul was saying, because the tomb was empty, 
it confirms that he was not there. He has risen and is alive. And I guess in a court of law, that would be overwhelming evidence. But then more evidence is adduced. Not only was the tomb empty, but he was seen by many people after his resurrection. He could not have been dead and seen by so many people. He appeared to them so that there would be eyewitnesses and at that time living eyewitnesses who would testify that we saw him after Resurrection Sunday. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4, 6, and verses 6 to 8. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul was writing there, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He appeared to the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James. They saw him. He appeared to Cleopas and another disciple. Historians tell us that it was his wife as they trudged on that lonely road after the crucifixion to Emmaus. The Bible records the account for us as to how they, they walked heads hanging low depressed. It was over, exchanging conversation as to things that had happened, and our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to them. He appeared to Peter and James and to all the apostles, not one, not two, but all of them. It would have to be a conspiracy of unprecedented proportions for all these people to be telling us lies. And then to confirm it, and this was the clincher, he appeared to 500 people at the same time. Every one of the 500 said, it is him, we see him, it is our Lord and Savior, at the same time. And to put it beyond argument, he appeared to Thomas. And because Thomas was typical, doubting and skeptical, he actually said to Thomas, touch my wounds, put your hands where the nails went through. And Thomas testified. He appeared by the shores of the Sea of, the sea of Galilee and he cooked a breakfast for the apostles. No ghost is cooking you a breakfast. The Bible says in John 21, 21st chapter from verse 12 to 14, this is what he said to them. He said, come let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. The Bible testifies this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And Paul ends that, his particular submission, by saying, the last of all, 
he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. What was Paul saying? You can't believe the rest of my writings if you don't believe that I saw him because I'm telling you I saw him. Rejoice! Because the evidence is incontrovertible. It's a word I love. It means it's beyond argument. It's indisputable. It's undeniable. It cannot be questioned. Rejoice because he is alive. It was the ultimate miracle. No faith can claim this. That their leader or savior died and was resurrected. It sets the Christian faith apart. And the moment you believe it, a certain boldness comes upon you to declare the love of Christ because you know that others might have done well and died and dead they remain, but our Lord and Savior died and was resurrected on the third day. And so is it any wonder when Peter preached the first recorded sermon, when he stood before a crowd that was made up of people with a hardened heart, or people who had hardened hearts, some of whom had been instruments of the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior. Some had been part of the crowd that bade for his blood, crucify him, crucify him, they said. But then we see the boldness of Peter because he understood that he's not dead, he's alive, as he preached to them. The Bible records in Acts 2 from verse 22 to 24 that Peter continued in his sermon, People of Israel, listen to the facts. Jesus the victorious was a man on a divine mission whose authority was clearly proven. For you know how God performed many powerful miracles, signs, and wonders through him. This man's destiny was prearranged for God knew that Jesus would be handed over to you to be crucified and that you would execute him on a cross by the hands of lawless men. Yet it was all part of his predetermined plan. God destroyed the cords of death and raised him up because it was impossible for death's power to hold him prisoner. And if you want to see a sermon that stirs you up, just read Peter's sermon to that crowd. Hardened men and, and women. People who were cynical and skeptical, but, but Peter was just moved by the reality that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And carried by the, 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 the sermon he was preaching, you hear Peter in verse 32 declare, can't you see it? God has resurrected Jesus and we all, he testifies, have seen him. Against their skepticism, against their cynicism, Peter says, God has done it. He is not dead. He's alive and all of us have seen him. And he ends that epic sermon as he rests his case with these words in verse 36. Now everyone in Israel can know for certain that Jesus whom you crucified 
is the one God has made both Lord and Messiah. Those who stand against the Christian faith, they might let us celebrate Christmas, but the one thing that they don't like is Easter. Because what does Easter say? Easter says, this Jesus that was crucified, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. And so rejoice today. Because that Jesus that was crucified is your Lord and your Messiah. Rejoice today because on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, we celebrate the cornerstone of our faith. That is what has made Christianity Christianity. The fact that our Lord and Savior is not dead in a tomb. He's alive. The Jesus that was crucified by God himself has been made Lord and Savior. He was crucified, but the Bible tells us he was brought back to life by the spirit of resurrection, the spirit of God. Rejoice. Rejoice because he is alive. And if we accept him as Lord and Savior, then we also are alive. Rejoice because he has conquered death. And since he has conquered death, we also have conquered death. That's why the Christian never dies. We have eternal life. And so when we finish one life here, the Christian goes on to continue life with God. We live like our Savior forevermore once we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Rejoice. John the Revelator declares his testimony in this manner in Revelations, the first chapter, verses 17 and 18. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Rejoice because fear is gone, because your Lord and Savior is the first and the last, and he has conquered fear by his resurrection. He says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Rejoice because in conquering death, he makes sure that that sword can't hang over your life. That the enemy can no longer terrify you with that. The psalmist puts it like this. And I borrow from the psalms. Psalms 139 verse 16. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. If you understand this scripture, you will never be afraid of death again in your life. What is the psalmist saying? The psalmist is saying, and this scripture found fulfillment in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The psalmist is saying that 
Before any one of us was born, God had written out our life in a book. Every day recorded. One translation says ordained. Ordained is a stronger word than recorded. It's ordained. It has to happen. And so you and I have a book where every day of our life is ordained. It's written out by God. And he finishes it and closes the book. He says every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Before you came, it was already decided. Every moment. There is no devil, no demon that has the audacity to go and open that book and erase a page. It cannot happen here on earth. That a devil will have the effrontery to collect the book of your life from God. And it has a hundred pages. And the devil tears out 40 of the pages. Cannot happen. Your life is in God's hands. When you understand that, you rest in God. And your focus becomes just to please God, to serve God, so that God may turn the page each day. And when the book is over, God himself will close the book. And the moment he closes the book, you depart this world. Rejoice. Resurrection brought deliverance. Resurrection brought joy. Resurrection brought peace. Resurrection brought restoration. Resurrection brought you being put in your purpose, the reason God created you. I say rejoice. For the Christian, today is the happiest day in the year. Because it's the day that signifies our freedom from fear, from anxiety, from worry, if we would receive the gift that Jesus is. If we would make him Lord and Savior. If we would put him in our lives then whatever we go through, we don't go through on our own. He's Lord, owner of, the, of our lives. He has a responsibility towards us. For the Christian, this is easily the happiest day of the year, Resurrection Sunday. So I say, rejoice. Amen. Give God a clap offering. Let's bow our heads for a moment of reflection. The worship songs the production the Bible readings the sermon have pointed to one truth that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. He's alive 
for us. As the song said, he paid an awesome price. He hanged on a cross. He was pierced with a spear. We saw the depiction as the nails were driven through his hand. He was crucified. Why did he have to die such a gruesome death? Because the wrath of God had to rest on someone for our sins. For the nature of God was to judge sin. But then if he judged sin, none of us would have a chance. Because every one of us had sinned, the Bible says, and fallen way short of the glory of God. And so Jesus said, I'll take their place. Let me bear the burden for their sin, the punishment for their wrong that they might be free. And the Trinity agreed that that was the plan. And by doing that, by taking the punishment, he set us free. Free to do what? Free to come into a relationship with God. To embrace God as Father. To enjoy fellowship with God to build a relationship with him. But then we have to exercise a choice. We can't be forced into that relationship. We must willingly enter that relationship. In doing that, we receive the gift that his life is. And the nature of a gift is that the giver can give it with all good intention. But if the recipient does not receive it, then the gift for that recipient is useless. I would like to pose one question as you reflect on Easter Sunday. The question is simple. One for you to ask yourself. Have you received the gift that Jesus is? Someone says, well, how do I receive that gift? By just allowing him into your life. Allowing him into your heart. By allowing him to become your Lord and your Savior. By doing that, you've received the gift. And this afternoon as we close with all heads bowed, let that question reverberate in your heart, your soul. Have you received the gift? And with all heads bowed, the Bible tells me that at this point in time, something is happening. The Bible uses very graphic language to describe it, that Jesus is knocking on the doors of hearts. His desire is that people should open the door of their heart and let him in. The Bible says so that he can fellowship with the person. With all heads bowed, with that question that I have posed reverberating in your heart, your soul, your consciousness, your spirit. If you haven't 
receive the gift that was offered. And you would want to receive that gift on this Resurrection Sunday. If you would just slip your hands up where you are. Not to me. It's just a symbolic gesture to God that I want to receive that gift of your son into my life. Go and slip your hand up wherever you are. When I see the hand, you can put it down. Go and slip it up. I want to receive that gift into my life. Anybody saying, yes, I want to receive that gift. Slip the hand up. Slip the hand up wherever you are. Don't be embarrassed by it. Slip it up. I want to receive that gift. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to see that hand. Anybody else? I want to receive that gift. Go and slip it up. Slip it up. Slip it up wherever you are. Anybody saying, yes, please pray with me. I want to settle this today. I want to come back home. I want to make my peace with God. I want to receive his son. I'm not inviting you to church. Neither am I asking you to join a religion. But I'm saying, will you receive the gift of his life? He paid the awesome price we saw depicted for you to receive this gift. Anybody else? Slip your hands up wherever you are. Slip it up. Slip it up. I see that hand. I see that hand. Don't be embarrassed by it, please. Slip it up. Slip it up. This is the kind of moment where decisions change lives. Slip it up. And, and there will be some people who are having a tussle in their minds. You can hear one voice saying you don't have to, but you feel an urge. You feel something that is pushing you to say you, you need to do that today. That is the Spirit of God saying to you, God has been waiting for you. Slip your hand up if you're that person. You're feeling that tussle and you're saying, I'm, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to settle this once and for all. Slip the hand up. Anybody else? Anybody else? Slip it up. Slip it up. Slip it up. Slip it up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Go on. Slip it up. Slip it up. There's a knocking on the door of your heart. You can sense it. Right now, you're feeling a bit uncomfortable. Should I? Shouldn't I? That's the Spirit of God encouraging you to make your peace with God wherever you are. Slip that hand up. As you slip the hand, you're saying to God, I, I, I want to settle this. I, I just want to receive this gift. I don't want to spurn this gift. I don't want to reject this gift. Slip it up wherever you are. Father, we just want to thank you. You see, it's the Father welcoming the children home. It's the Father standing with his arms open wide and saying, come home. It's enough of trying to figure it out yourself, come home. It's enough of carrying the burden yourself, come home. It's enough of trying to carry the pain yourself, come home. Aren't you tired of the darkness, come home. Aren't you tired of the confusion, come home. It's the Father saying, daughter, come home, I'm waiting for you. Son, come home, I'm waiting for you. And if you slipped your hand up, I'm going to ask you to take what will arguably be one of the boldest steps you'll take. But before I ask you to take that step, let me remind you of a scripture, what God says. Jesus himself says that if you acknowledge me publicly, I will acknowledge you before my Father. And I want to use that to encourage you. And if there's someone sitting next to you and you want help, you want assistance, you just want encouragement, touch that person and the person will walk forward with you because I would love to pray for you. And, and I'm just going to ask you to take a step and come forward. If you have a card in your hand, you answered that call, come from wherever you are. Come, come, come. Come into the loving embrace of your father. Come from wherever you are. Come from wherever you are. Come, come, come. You don't come to a man, you come to God. You don't come to a physical altar. You come to the throne of grace. Come from wherever you are. Come. Come from wherever you are. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. Come. Come. We'll wait for you. 
And maybe you didn't have a card in your hand, but you know you should be out here. You know, we will wait for you because God has been waiting for you for quite a while. So come from wherever you are. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't miss this opportunity to settle it once and for all. Come, come from wherever you are. Come, 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 come from wherever you are. Come, come from wherever you are. Come, come from wherever you are. Come. Yes, Come from wherever you are. God, you're coming into the loving embrace of a father. You're not coming for any human being. It's just you and God settling things. Come from wherever you are. Come. 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 It's obvious God is doing something here. When you look at the number of young people who are standing before God. Come. Hallelujah. We're waiting for one or two more people. Come. Come. There's a knocking on the door of your heart. Why don't you come and settle it once and for all? Father, we just thank you and we bless you. We bless you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it's not too late. It's not too late. Not too late. Hallelujah. Father, we just want to thank you. And Lord, I just want to thank you for all these young children. All these young ones who have come to commit their lives to your son, Jesus. We commit them into your care. This is a clear sign of things to come, Heavenly Father. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now look about me for a second. Now, Pastor Derele, if you turn to your right, she's going to pray with you to confirm this work that you've started. So I want you all to go with her. Go on, go with her. Go on. Go on, appreciate God. Appreciate God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. It's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Whom the sun sets free, the sun sets There are many benefits that come to the child of God as a result of resurrection. The whole essence of resurrection was freedom. Freedom from every form of slavery and every form of oppression. He said to them, rejoice. And why was he saying rejoice? He was saying to them, rejoice because your life has changed from now. Because of my resurrection, your life is totally transformed. Because of my resurrection, you're victorious. Because of my resurrection, you're more than a conqueror. Because of my resurrection, rejoice. Rejoice because now you can have joy. Now you can have peace. Rejoice because my resurrection 
puts an end to bondage. Rejoice because my resurrection ushers light into darkness. And so on Resurrection Sunday, I want you to lift your faith and join with me to believe that every form of slavery or bondage that is preventing anyone under the sound of my voice from enjoying the life and the life abundance. He says, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He says, but I've come that you might have life and have an overflow of life. Anything that is stopping you from enjoying the overflow of life, I want to join my faith with yours to believe that part of the present from Resurrection Sunday is that God will put an end to it. Can someone say amen to it? And so for a few minutes, you may stand, you may sit. I just want you to petition the heavens. We serve a God who answers prayers. He's given us his promise. He actually says to us in Jeremiah 33 verse 3, Call unto me and I will answer and show you great and mighty things. So why don't you believe God for something great and mighty in your life? It's what he asks us for. That's why he came back to life, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so I want us for a few minutes just to bring a petition to heaven concerning yourself. That this form of bondage or slavery is over. This area that doesn't correspond with the resurrection life is over. Go on, lift your voices and begin to pray to God. Go on. Go on, petition the heavens. Come before the throne of grace. He says, we come before the throne of grace with boldness where we have access not just to grace but to help in our time of need, to mercy. Go on, so just come before him. Talk to your father. Daughter to father, son to father. Talk to him on this Easter Sunday, on this resurrection Sunday. Talk to the God with whom nothing shall be impossible. Why don't you let your faith rise to believe that God can and that God has purposed it so it will come to pass. Father, we just thank you. As we come before you, O God, we petition you, O God. We come before a throne of grace, O God, not a throne of judgment or condemnation. We lift our voices, O God, as children as we call out to our Father. Father, have mercy, O God. Father, step into that situation, Heavenly Father. Oh God of mercy, turn it around and take all the glory. Stem the tide, oh God. Stop the rot, Heavenly Father. Take away the pain, oh God. Lift the burden, almighty and everlasting God. Father, for your daughter, make a way where there's no way, oh God. You promised, Father, rivers in his desert. Make rivers in her desert. Make rivers in his desert, oh God. Let that barren situation become fruitful, oh God. Let the dry and patched ground bloom again. Blossom, Heavenly Father. Father, we ask, O oh God, that you will pour out your spirit, O oh God. Let every obstacle become a stepping stone to a new level of glory. O oh God, this Resurrection Sunday, O oh God, give us cause to rejoice over and over again, Heavenly Father. O oh Father in heaven, have mercy, O oh God. We don't deserve it, but we say have mercy, O oh God. For your son's sake, we say have mercy, O oh God. For your name's sake, have mercy, O oh God. Father, turn it around, O oh God. Change it, Heavenly Father. Father, give your daughter a testimony. Give your son, O oh God, a new song to sing, Heavenly Father. And Father, do it, O oh God, because of your son and because of his sacrifice on the cross. 
because father you have brought him to life for this purpose oh god that we might have life and have the overflow of life father we thank you oh god lord we bless you we declare that you are god and god alone that there is no one like you oh god there is nothing that is impossible for you oh god for father truly oh god once was it spoken twice did we hear the echo of the truth that power belongs to you heavenly father Father, we bless you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We declare that you are God and God alone, that there is no one like you. For who is there like unto you, O God? We worship you, O God. Everything that has breath praises your name. We declare that you are God and God alone, the excellency of Israel. We worship your holy name in this place. We lift your name high, Father. We thank you. We bless you. We glorify your name. Thank you, O God. Thank you, O oh God. Father, we worship you, O oh God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And Lord, what is the assurance that we have that our prayers are heard and our prayers are answered? The name that you have given us. The name that is above every other name. The name that at the mention of which every knee bows and every tongue confesses. Your Son, Jesus. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. It's what rejoicing. It's what celebrating. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. It's what celebrating. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Thank you, Lord. God just celebrate that truth with a clap offering that our Lord and Savior is alive our King is alive he's not in a tomb he's alive go and celebrate the truth that the tomb is empty the tomb is empty the tomb is empty we bless you thank you Lord hallelujah Oh, we bless you. Hallelujah. Go on, say to a few people around you, he's alive. Go on, declare it. He's alive. He's alive. Hallelujah. He's alive. Hallelujah.